Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Father, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you once again for brothers and sisters all over the world who are being persecuted, Lord, simply because they love Jesus. Lord, we just ask, as, as has been prayed, that you will be there for them, that their canopy, their protection, their shield, their buckler. Uh, and, and we just pray for this service as we ask, Heavenly Father, that you will breathe upon your word that it will achieve the purposes that you intend that it should achieve in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. Uh, today we're going to be taking lessons from a rebellion, um, life lessons from a rebellion. Now, the children of Israel were notorious in this regard. There were many times that they just simply rebelled. Um, against Moses, against Aaron, against their leadership, and against God by extension. Um, and amongst these many rebellions, um, the, the rebellion we're going to talk about today was the most significant, far-reaching, um, the largest rebellion that took place. It's called Korah's Rebellion, because, of course, a gentleman called Korah, the son of Isha, uh, was the leader of this rebellion. The Bible documents it for us in Numbers, the 16th chapter. Numbers, the 16th chapter. Um, if you turn your Bibles to Numbers 16. And I'll paraphrase the story uh, for you. Um, a gentleman called Korah, uh, a Levite, uh, conspired with some other leaders uh, from another tribe uh, led by two men, Datham and Abiram, and they incited a rebellion against Moses. Now, what was significant about this rebellion were those who were involved. Firstly, it was a leader of the Levites and the Levites who were involved in this rebellion. And the Levites were a very special group. They were the priests. Um, they ministered in the, in, in, in the tabernacle. They ministered um, on behalf of the children of Israel. Of course, they were distinct from the high priests. The high priests were um, Aaron and his descendants. But the Levites were the priests. They, 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 they oversaw all the ministration that took place uh, in the tabernacle. And so they conspired with uh, another tribe, leaders from another tribe, the, the tribe of Reuben. Now what made this significant, as the Bible records, is that they were all prominent members of the assembly, men of renown. This wasn't just anybody rebelling, it was the leaders, prominent men, um, people of renown. They united against Moses, uh, rebelled against him and Aaron, 
uh, and, and they just said to Moses, we've had enough. You, you don't have any right to rule us or to lead us. Uh, and when Moses heard about this rebellion and saw the extent of this rebellion, uh, he, he, of course, he, he, he knew that this was a rebellion like none, none other. The Bible tells us how he fell on his face uh, to the ground. Um, and then he said, okay, um, we have to find out who God has asked to lead this. So he said to them, get your, your censers, bring your incense, I, we will bring our incense, and whoever has the fire of the Lord fall on their incense, then that's the person that the Lord has said is the leader of this group. And so they agreed. Um, they got their incense. Uh, they came out. Moses sent a message, I guess trying to create peace to Datam and Abiram that they should come um, to him. I guess his intention was to talk to them and try and find a way out. But in the most rude fashion, Datam and Abiram refused to come. We refuse to come before you, they said. Uh, is it not enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey, to kill us here in the wilderness, and that you now treat us like your subjects? We are not coming to you. And Moses got very angry, and he said to them, Tomorrow, present yourselves before the Lord, all of you, and God will make a choice as to who he has chosen to lead this group. And so the men came, each of them with their incense and uh, with, with their censers and with their incense. The censers were the containers where they burnt incense. And then they lit a fire. By this time, Korah had really stirred up the whole community against Moses and Aaron. And they all gathered at the entrance of the tabernacle. And the glorious presence of God comes down. And God says to Moses and Aaron, move away from these people. I want to destroy them instantly. Now, if that was most people, they would have moved away for God to teach these people a lesson. But Moses and Aaron fall on their face and they plead with God that he should have mercy on them. And then God says to them, then, having listened to them, tell all of all the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And something amazing happens. The, those who were rebellious, the leaders, with their children, their wives, the ground opens up and swallows them. An earthquake literally takes place. And they are swallowed, they disappear into the bowels of the earth. And then for the 250 other leaders that join them, a fire breaks out from the Lord and consumes them. God is so angry at them for this rebellion. For he doesn't see it as a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, but a rebellion against him. The leaders are consumed by the earth in a most dramatic fashion. 
an earthquake takes place and they disappear into the bowels of the earth. And then the others who join them, the 250 people, men of renown, a fire comes out of the Lord and consumes all of them. And because the rest of the congregation had, been, had allowed themselves to be stirred up, the rest of the, of the country, a plague breaks out in the country. 14,700 people die from that plague. But then in a dramatic scene, which we will talk about, Moses, understanding what can placate God's anger, says to Aaron to get a censer with incense and to run to the middle where the dead are on one side and the living are on one side. And as he stands there with that censer, with the incense burning up to God, the plague is stopped. Now that's a paraphrase of what took place. But what lessons can we learn from that rebellion, from Korah's rebellion? I want to share with you five lessons that we learn that can dramatically affect our lives from Korah's rebellion. Number one lesson, in every situation, our first response should be prayer. The Bible tells us in Numbers 16 verse 3, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves for all the, congrega for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? What were they saying? They were saying, Moses, you're not the only one. God also can use us. You're not the only one who's, who's holy. You're not the only one who's right with God. And so they instigated the nation against Moses. Verse 14. When Moses heard, he heard about the rebellion. He heard about the instigation. He heard about them stirring up people against him. What was Moses' response? The Bible says, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. His first response, when the news came to him, when he heard about their schemes, their planning, their plotting, his first response was the posture of prayer. He fell upon his face. I assure you that our lives would be so different if the first response as we hear or see or encounter is that we talk to God about it. I love a story in the book of Nehemiah about Nehemiah. This is a story that has made a dramatic impact on my prayer life many years ago when I understood this story. Now, if you know the story of Nehemiah, he received news about the state of his nation. The walls are burnt down. The gates are destroyed. He was so burdened by that news. If you read in Nehemiah, the first chapter and the fourth verse, it literally completely just changed his life. He was so weighed down he wept, he cried, he stopped in his tracks, he prayed, he fasted, and then he received this call in his heart from God to go and to take some people to go and rebuild the gates and the walls of Jerusalem. 
But then, of course, he was a civil servant. He was serving in, in the house of the king. He had a privileged position as the cupbearer to, to the king. Very privileged position. He literally tasted anything before it got to the king. And he couldn't, of course, go without asking for the king's permission. So when you go to chapter 2, the Bible records the encounter where he asked for the king's permission. He took, as he always did, the wine to the king and he gave it to the king. When the king looked up, the king noticed that he was sad. There was something about his countenance that wasn't normal. And the king asked him, why are you sad? You're not sick. There's not, this is nothing but sorrow of the heart, the king says. Nehemiah, the second chapter, verses 1 to 4. Frankly, verses 1 to 8. And what is his response? He says, I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, this is Nehemiah reporting, what do you request? That's an amazing question. It's like a blank check. Nehemiah goes before the king. He's weighed down by the state of things back home. And the sadness shows on his countenance. And the king looks at him and says, there's something wrong. You never come in here like this. What is wrong? And he says to the king, this is the problem. I'm, over, I'm weighed down. I'm traumatized by the state of things in my home. And the, queen, the king says to him, so what do you want? Now, most of us, knowing what we want, would have jumped in immediately with a request. But this is what changed my prayer life, one of the things. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Before his mouth spoke, before he jumped in, before he responded, despite how enticing the statement by the king was to him, what do you want? Nehemiah had the presence of mind to talk to God about it first. And you know, it wasn't a prayer that took long. This wasn't an hour. It wasn't even 10 minutes. I don't think it was five minutes. I literally think it probably was seconds or a minute or so. And it's those kind of prayers that send a message to God that prayer is not a thing that we do, but prayer has become a lifestyle. That communion with God has become a lifestyle. It's having a conversation with God while you're being interviewed. It's having a conversation with God while you're making a presentation. It's having a conversation with God while you're at the same time having a conversation with someone else. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And then, verses 5 and 6, he then says, I then said to the king. After he had prayed, he said to the king. And what does the Bible end with in verse 6? After he had said to the king, he says, it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Now, of course, because favor was now flowing with him, 
And I think that favor came from the centrality of God in his life, from, from constantly communing with God, from putting God first, from not jumping ahead of God, from letting God know that what he says matters, he's in control. The favor extends because not only does the king let him go, the king gives him letters to grant him access, to, gra to grant him, uh, to allow him to go through the land, and then the king also gives him the resources that he requires. I, I just want to say to you that learning this art of conversational prayer is one of the major blessings that we can have as a Christian. Um, my mentor, Dr. Nuzo, has written a book, Pathway to Conversational Prayer. I think I might have mentioned it last week. He wrote it 20, 28 years ago, however many years ago, maybe 30 years ago. It made a major mark in my life when I gave my life to Christ. He's rewritten it. That's a good Christmas present for you. you go on to Amazon and order that book. Number two. So number one, in every situation, offense response should be prayer. Number two, the Lord will respond to the incense from our censors. Numbers 16, verses 5 to 7. And he spoke to Korah, this is Moses, and all his company saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company. Put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. When they rebelled against him, Moses said there's a simple way to settle this. God will do the settling. You, you guys take your censers. Take your incense. Light the incense. Set it, set it on fire. Put a, put a light to it. Put fire to it. And the Lord himself will choose by responding to the incense that comes from the censers. Who is his and who is holy. There's a symbolism for this. The Lord will respond to the incense from our censers. The symbolism is that the censers are representative of our, our bodies, our lives. The incense is representative of our prayers. And that's what the Bible helps us understand in Revelation 5 verse 8. The Bible says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so, what was Moses saying in effect? Bring yourself and come and pray to God and let us see whose prayer will move God. Let us see whose prayer God will respond to. One thing we must understand is that heaven responds to the incense from our censors. The 
incense of our prayers. God always responds to them. We mustn't think that we can bring strange fire to cause strange incense to rise to heaven and that God will respond to it. We also must not think that we can light a fire and try and set on fire the incense that is in a censer that is unholy and God will respond to it. There is a trick that the enemy has played on the body of Christ where he makes us think that it is possible to compartmentalize our lives and that I can live a life that is unrighteous, but then I can pray in this compartment and God will respond. That's like an unholy censor trying to give incense that God will respond to. As A.W. Tozer says, we must understand that prayer at its best is the expression of the total life. That's the expression of prayer. Now, as he also points out, we can live as Christians that have prayer as a fire escape. A fire escape is not the normal way to come out of a building. You come down a fire escape because there is an emergency. And a lot of us live that kind of life where the, our prayers are an emergency. Where we're, we're, we're suddenly, we, we, we're desperate for this answer. It's not the total life. But where we want to get to, what Nehemiah showed us, and what the symbolism of that encounter between Korah and the rebellious leaders and Moses and Aaron showed us is that we want to get to a place where prayer is the total expression of our lives. It's an expression of our total lives. He goes on to say, Toza, all things being equal, our prayers are only as powerful as our lives. In the long pool, we pray only as well as we live. We pray only as well as we live. And that's why we want to live right, because we want the incense that flows from our, 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 our senses, from our lives, constantly. Whether it's one sentence, a few seconds, a, a, a declaration, a, a, a word, but all that is prayer. And you see, the totality of our lives is just, just, not just our words that are prayers, but our actions become prayers. Our whole life is praying to God. The incense that is rising from us continuously is prayer to God, and God is responding to the prayer. He goes on, Toza, to talk about the excellency of the life of constant communion where all the thoughts and acts are prayers and the entire life becomes 
one holy sacrifice of praise and worship. When we, when we get into that realm, our entire life is, is praying to God. Our entire life is worshiping God. We don't have the sacred and the secular. Our whole life has become sacred. Even normal things that we do, like eating and swimming and, and having a laugh, all those things are sacred. They are incense unto God because we've arrived at that place where we've committed our lives to God our lives have become sacred because we've dedicated our lives to God. Every act, every word becomes a prayer, incense that rises to God. The Lord will respond to the incense from our senses. Number three, gratitude is the most powerful antidote to envy and covetousness. One of the things that Moses said and one of the things that shocked him with this rebellion was that it was led by Korah, a leader in the tribe of Levi, and it had Levites in it. Listen to what Moses says to them. Numbers 16, verses 9 to 11. He says, Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them, and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord, and what is and, and what is Aaron that you complain against him? What was Moses saying? Moses was saying to them, I just can't believe you guys. God has made you special. He's given you a privileged position. He's allowed you to, to oversee the ministry in this tabernacle. He separated you for himself. And yet you still want what another person has. You want to be like the high priest, like Aaron and his children. And isn't that the challenge that we face where we are not content with what God has given us, with the race that we have to run? We are constantly looking across at somebody else's graces, gifts, somebody else's race. The result of that, when we are not grateful for what God has done, if, we, if, you, take, if you pause and look at your life, there is enough for you to be throwing thanksgiving parties from now till you depart at an old age. Because God has been good to you. Before you look at some, what God is doing with someone else, before you look at how someone else is, what, what, how God is moving someone else, what God has blessed someone else with, before you use that as the yardstick to spur yourself on, why don't you pause and look at your life and see what God has done to you and be grateful for what God has done for you and to you. When you're grateful, it stops covetousness and envy from taking root in your heart. Gratitude is a powerful antidote to envy and covetousness. Number four, a rebellious heart is contagious. There was a few of them who started the rebellion. Korah, Datham, Abiram, 250 men of renown. That's not the three million plus people that came out of Egypt. 
But by the time the rebellion had reached its zenith, by the time the rebellion had really started thriving, uh, by the time the fire of rebellion had swept through the nation, literally the whole nation was caught up in the rebellion. A rebellious heart is contagious. It's like a disease that spreads. Numbers 16, verses 12 to 14. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you should, that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor if given us the inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come. Now, it's interesting that when your heart becomes toxic, your thinking becomes toxic. Because these are people that were rescued from slavery in Egypt. But because their heart was toxic, as a result of the rebellion, the, the, the envy, the covetousness, and, and, and all the negative things in their heart, their thinking had become caustic, toxic. So toxic that they said, you took us from a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness. What milk and what honey did they have in Egypt? They were slaves. Their backs were being broken by hard labor. They were second-class citizens. But for them, because of the, the toxic nature of their heart, their thinking had become toxic. You have to understand that it started just with Korah, with Dathan, Abiram, with 250 men of renown, but it had now spread to the whole nation. The whole nation was now in full rebellion. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, he says, Stop fooling yourselves. Evil companions will corrupt good morals and character. And that's how it works. If you hang around the wrong crowd, you will get into trouble. It's the toxic nature of that environment. Evil companions, people who have a bad heart, an evil heart, a wicked heart, a toxic heart. It doesn't matter how good you are, your morals and your character. If you hang around them, it will eventually corrupt you. Proverbs 12 verse 26. The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. That's what will happen. If you hang around them, they will corrupt you. And God drives home this point as he deals with the rebellion that Korah led in Numbers 16, verses 23 to 26. The Lord said to Moses, tell all the people to get away from the tents of, De of, of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So Moses got up and, and rushed over to the tents of Dathan and Abiram followed by the elders of Israel. There were some who stayed with Moses. The, some of the elders of Israel stayed with him. Quick, he told the people, 
Get away from the tents of these wicked men and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you will be destroyed for their sins. It is the truth that if you, you, you can harm yourself by your company, you can harm yourself by who you attach yourself to. You can cause God's wrath and anger to come upon you by simply who you attach yourself to. That's why you find yourself in some places and the conversation is heading in the direction that you know we're entering dangerous waters. I don't need to be discussing this. This has the potential to be perceived as sinful. It has the potential to cause God's wrath to fall. You better get out of there before that happens. In Titus, the third chapter and the tenth verse, the Bible says, Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Some people have condemned themselves. Don't join them and be condemned with them. The Bible says such a person is warped and sinning. And it's what Paul says in Romans as well, as they encourages us to be careful. Choose your company. It's a choice that you can make. Choose where you hang out. Choose what you listen to. Choose the environment you're in. There are certain people, if you're truthful, they don't add to your life. Every time you finish a conversation with them, they have sowed seeds of, of bitterness or anger, toxicity. They've gossiped about someone. They've slashed someone to pieces. You don't hear them constantly building people up. They are constantly pulling down. They know all the bad things and all the things that people are doing that are wrong. They are a, res a reservoir of knowledge, but it is not godly knowledge. It's not knowledge that profits. It's knowledge about other people and what's happening to other people. You better keep away from such people. Romans 16, verses 17 to 18. And now, dear brothers and sisters, I'd like to give you one final word of caution, Paul says. Watch out for those who cause divisions and offenses among you. When they antagonize you by speaking of things that are contrary to the teachings that you have received, don't be caught in their snare. It's a simple thing. Run what they're saying by what you have heard from the Word of God. Check it by the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, if it's not gracious, if it's not affirming, if it's not building up, but on the contrary, it's cutting, it's destructive, it's wicked. It's hacking someone down. It's gossip. You know, things that I don't need to know. It might be true, but what is the aim of telling me? What does it do? Paul says, this is my one final word of caution to you. Watch out for such people. Don't be caught in their snare. Their mouths are snares intended to trap you. Don't be caught in the snare. 
He goes on to say, For people like this are not truly serving the Lord our Messiah, but are being driven by their own desires for a following. That's exactly where, where, where Korah was. He thought, Moses, why should, we all be, why, why should we all be submitted to you as our leader? I too can do this. You're not the only one who can do it. I need a following as well. And you know, today, with social media, social media is awash with them. They are worshipping the likes and worshipping the views. And they are trying to increase the likes and the views by how they cut and castigate and tear and pull down other people. And a lot of times, they are attacking men and women of God. And don't get me wrong, you know, there, there, there are some men and women of God who have brought it upon themselves by their actions. But don't join with the person because God is quite capable of dealing with those that he has placed in those positions. Don't join them to cut and pull down and tear down and attack and destroy. Because you see, it's not just throwing mud at one man or one woman. Some of the mud sticks to the church, sticks to the name of Jesus, unfortunately. Some of the mud slows down the work of God. You've fallen into the snare that their mouths have set for you on social media. And their desire is just to have a following. A following. He goes on to say, utilizing smooth words and well-rehearsed blessings, they seek to deceive the hearts of innocent ones. Number five, the last lesson, the beauty of intercession. All through that account in Numbers 16, we see the power and beauty of intercession. We see Moses and Aaron pleading with God on behalf of the people who rebelled against them, the heart of an intercessor. Numbers 16, verses 20 to 24. And the Lord said, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. God said, it's enough. I mean, these people are totally out of order. I mean, don't you thank God for grace? Don't you thank God for Jesus? I wonder if we didn't have Jesus, if some of us would still be alive. I, I know for certain I wouldn't be alive because I know there are times that I've crossed the line. There are times that I have, I have done things that should incur the wrath of God. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God for a dispensation of grace, but we mustn't take it for granted. God said enough. He said, Moses, step aside. Let me deal with these people once and for all. The Bible says, then they fell on their faces and said, oh God, this is Moses and Aaron, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you'll be angry with the whole congregation. What were they saying? Korah started it. Don't be angry with them. These people are ensnared. They are deceived. It's really Korah who started this thing. And so God said, so the Bible says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation say, saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. God said, okay, I, I won't deal with them now, but let them move away 
Korah, the leaders, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, I am going to deal with them. And when you look at verses 41 to 45, as the whole nation started complaining, and they were complaining because of what had happened, they were complaining because God had judged the leaders of this rebellion. They said, you've killed all the people of the Lord. And they gathered against Moses and Aaron. And suddenly God came down from heaven in the cloud. And when Moses and Aaron came to the tabernacle of meeting, God spoke to them. He said, now get away from among this congregation. I'm going to deal with them. What did Moses and Aaron do? They fell on their faces again, intercession. But the most powerful picture of intercession, this, this beautiful, this precious act of standing in the gap, and, and doesn't God need intercessors today? People who will selflessly stand in the gap. Ezekiel 22 verse 30, he looks for one man, just one man that will be selfless in the place of intercession. Moses understood the power of intercession. As the Lord's anger was released, firstly the fire consumed the 250 elders, the ground opened up and swallowed the leaders, and then a plague was released into the nation. People were falling left, right, and center. 100, 500, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000. 14,000. What did Moses do? Understanding intercession. It's the censer and the incense that makes the difference. Numbers 16, verses 46 to 47. Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. Verse 48. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Dramatic. As the people were dying, the anger of God was released. 14,000 had dropped dead. 14,500 had dropped dead. Moses understood the power of intercession, that the incense can make a difference. Your prayers can make a difference for your family, for your community, for your church, for your nation. Your prayers matter. Moses knew that atonement needs to be made and the incense would make atonement. You and I don't have to make atonement. Jesus Christ has done that. And guess what? He, he hasn't only done it by his sacrifice on the cross, taking on your sin and my sin to give us an, an 
expressway into the presence of God. The veil is torn in two. Whosoever decides to come into the Holy of Holies, no longer just Aaron and his descendants, no. Moses said to Aaron, he was the only one who could go there and make a difference. Now you and I can make a difference because Jesus has made a way for us. We just have to try to keep the censer holy. That's why we are called to righteous living. Fortunately, we have the blood of Jesus where we slip up. Slip up, we can get back under the covering of the blood. The blood washes our sins away because he's paid the price for us at the cross of Calvary. We don't have to pay the price. We just have to come in and no longer just Aaron and his descendants are the high priest. Jesus says, I will be the high priest for you. I will pave a way for you so you can come boldly before the throne of grace and get a guarantee that you will get mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. So Moses says to Aaron, take the censer, put, put the fire on it, let it cause the, the incense to start to rise. Run into the middle of the congregation, and as soon as, and, and I love the way he says it, quickly run, there's an urgency in intercession. And as he runs in there, dramatically, he, with, the, with the people dying, this side, all those who have died. And the plague is moving fast towards those who are alive. He stands in the middle and holds the, the censer and puts the fire on it. The incense starts to rise. And suddenly the plague is stopped. 14,700 dead. But the intercession of Aaron stops the plague. I want to challenge you that maybe we need to lift up our voices more for this plague to stop. Maybe we need to take a look at our lives and clean up our acts so that our, our senses are potent for this plague to stop. Maybe you don't understand how powerful your prayers can be. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 11 as I close. Paul says, as you labor together with us through prayer, because there are so many interceding for us, our deliverance will cause even more people to give thanks to God. What a gracious gift of mercy surrounds us because of your prayers. There are many who should be saying that about us. That because of our prayers, a gracious gift of mercy surrounds them. They are, because of our intercession, Deliverance has come their way. That we are joined with them in, our, in labor. We might not be working with them, but we labor in the place of intercession. Not labor as in toiling, but we commit ourselves to the place of intercession. You know, as I prepared this message, it's the end of the year, it's been a tough year, my mind went to those who are praying for, for me, uh, my wife and our children. And I know many of you are. And I don't know all of you, but God knows all of you. But I especially want to thank a group of people who've committed to praying for me and fasting for, fasting for me and my family every single day. Those people are precious to me. I don't think I would be standing here. I don't think my family would be intact without 
the selfless intercession of those people. And the others I don't know. But these ones I know. Who every day, one of them will stand in the gap, fasting and praying for God's grace upon my life, for me to fulfill God's call on my life, praying for God's protection for my family. Intercessors are precious. The reason you're in your family is because you're an intercessor. God needs you there to pray for them. He partners with intercessors to bring his plans to pass. That praying mother, you'll see the result in your children. That praying father, you'll see the result in your family. The reason he puts you in this church is to lift your voice and pray for his plans and purposes to come to pass in this church. That's why you're here, an intercessor. The reason he put this church in this nation is because this church is called to the place of intercession for this nation. We lift our voices and we give heaven no rest until he makes our own Jerusalem a praise on earth. So let me end by asking us to join our faith in intercession for this nation and especially for this plague to stop. Let's believe that our words make a difference. So wherever you are, if you just begin to lift your voice and begin to come before God, begin to approach that throne of grace where we, can, we are guaranteed, we are assured that what is dispensed from that throne is not condemnation or judgment, but the writer of Hebrews assures us that it is grace that is dispensed. We come before that throne of grace. We're going to petition God on behalf of this nation. Aaron ran into the plague. We're not running away from the plague spiritually. We're running into this pandemic. And we are trusting that our words will count. I want us to begin to lift our voices as we come before that throne of grace. We're guaranteed that at that throne of grace, we're guaranteed by his word that we will get grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. This is a time of need for this nation. I heard a few days ago that they said the incidence is starting to rise again. I said, no, that will not happen. Will you join me and lift your voice? Now, we're not asking for it to just come down. We're saying, God, take this plague away. Enough of, a number of people have died. That's enough. 14,700 was their number. I don't know what our number is, but we're saying, Heavenly Father, hear our cry. Here in Jesus' house, wherever this church is, all around the world, we're lifting our voice. Even if this isn't your nation, where you are, we'll pray for that nation. I know we have a congregation that's now spread around the world. Why don't you be the intercessor for that nation? God says in Ezekiel 22 verse 30, He just needs one man. You need to be that one man or one woman who will stand in the gap that He will heal your land. So lift your voice and begin to ask God, heal this land, Lord. Father, we say heal this land. Father, stop this plague to the glory of your name. We ask for mercy, Heavenly Father. We lift our voices to the heavens. We lift holy hands, O God. Holy hands, Heavenly Father, not by power or might, but by grace, O God. And we say, Father, stop this plague, O God, in the name of Jesus Christ. We say, Heavenly Father, let, let one more family not mourn and grieve because they've lost a loved one. Go and lift your voices.
and begin to pray. Father, we just thank you. We come before you, O God. We stand before your throne, Heavenly Father. We declare that you are God and God alone. Who is like unto you? Father, if you stop a thing, it stops. Father, we know we have sinned as a nation, O God. Father, we confess, O God, the sins of this nation. Father, we stand in the gap, O God, and we say we repent, O God, on behalf of this nation. We say, Heavenly Father, we have come in the name that guarantees us an answer. You gave us your word that if we ask in the name of your son Jesus Christ you will bring it to pass Father we are asking oh God of mercy that the weeping stop the grieving stop the pain stop that Father those so many oh God who have fallen oh God on hard times oh God because of the economic consequences Father we are saying it is enough oh God of mercy have mercy we appeal to you oh God as the God of mercy we say Father have mercy on this nation oh God have mercy on the nations of the world Heavenly Father we stand oh God between the living and the dead we stand oh God with the censors of our lives, O oh God. If we were not right before now, we plead the blood of Jesus, the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. So we are right, O oh God. Father, the incense, O oh God, rises from our lips, O oh God. The incense of our prayers, let it be acceptable to you, O oh God. Here in heaven, heavenly Father, and turn it around for us, O oh God. Step into the situation. Hear the cry of a mother who's lost her child, a husband who who's lost his wife, a family that have lost their, hus their husband. Father, hear, oh God, the children who have lost a father, the, those who have lost grandparents. And we say, Father, it is enough, Heavenly Father. Oh God, it is enough. Out of Jesus' house, oh God, as one family, we lift our voice to you. We say, God, it is enough, enough, Lord. Stop the plague, Heavenly Father, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we don't stop praying. We carry this prayer around with us, oh God. We ask that you will help us, Heavenly Father, to talk to you constantly about it. And Father, we thank you for listening, for you gave us an assurance, Heavenly Father, in your word. If we call unto you, we have called and we will be calling. You will answer us, oh God, and you will show us great and mighty things which we didn't know. Father, show us, oh God, great and mighty things. We thank you, Heavenly Father. And Father, we thank you, oh God, for for all those who have done an amazing job, Heavenly Father, in serving the, this nation at a time like this. We thank you, Father, for all the health workers, the NHS staff. Father, they've been amazing. And not just them, oh God, all those who have in one way or another, Father, served this nation at a time like this. And Father, we're coming to the time where, where the, the, the vaccine is, is being rolled out. Lord. There are many conspiracy theories. There are all kinds of theories. Lord, we just place ourselves in your hands, Heavenly Father. We ask that your will be done, O God. Your, your, your will for our lives be done, O God. Father, we are asking, Heavenly Father, that your spirit will direct us, O God. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the scientific community. Thank you for all the work that has been done to bring us to this point, Heavenly Father. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Father, we lift our voices, O oh God, and we say, Father, let this plague stop in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen, amen. As I end, if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, 
you don't enjoy this relationship that guarantees you an answer when you call. Uh, you want to do that because it, as, as the world goes on this journey, uh, this plague is, is, is over by God's grace. I speak, I speak prophetically by faith and declare that, Father, this plague is over. But there are many challenges up ahead. And the assurance we have is that we're not walking on this journey alone. Jesus is walking on this journey with us. That's the assurance we have. And you can only have that assurance where you've invited him into your life. And so if you want to do so, why don't you say this prayer after me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. I invite him into my life. Lord Jesus, come and be my Lord and Savior. I give my life to you. I repent of my sins. I commit to living a life that is pleasing to you. Thank you, Father, for welcoming me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. It's as simple as that if you said that prayer, believing in your heart. With your heart, you believe. With your mouth, you've confessed. You're a member of God's family. Well, congratulations. Why don't you uh, do one thing, an act of faith? Um, if you're watching on JHTV, uh, there's, there's an icon, there's a box there that says, raise your hand, press that box. If you're, not, if you're watching on other platforms, uh, press the link, go on, press the link wherever you are. Go on, press it, press it, press the box, press the link. God bless you as you do so, and then just follow uh, all the prompts. Fill the forms and allow us to resource you on this journey. God bless you. Let's look forward to an amazing Christmas, and I, I, I pray you will have the best Christmas of your life yet. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. 